We're beginning chapter 16 in the book of Shmuel. We saw in the previous chapter how King Saul fails to utterly wipe out Amalek. And Shmuel tells him that the Lord has torn the kingdom from him and is going to give it to somebody else. So now we're going to meet that somebody else. So let's open up to chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said to Shmuel, How long are you going to mourn over Saul? I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. So this is Mamash, a continuation of the previous chapter. The last verse of the previous chapter also said, Ki itabel Shmuel Shaul, the same words, that Samuel mourned over Saul. And here he is, beginning this chapter. He's still mourning over him. So we see how much Shmuel loves Saul. He really thought he had the right stuff. Plus, he invested so much into him it's not so easy to just change gears and go to somebody else after you put everything you got into the guy. And so he's still mourning over him here in verse 1. And you know, even mourning has to be within the parameters of the halacha. You're not allowed to mourn too much. When a loved one passes away, you sit shiva. You have a shloshim. You have your sites, but you're not supposed to be excessive in mourning because it means you're not accepting how Hashem is running the world. So you can't be over excessive in anything, even mourning. And that's why Hashem tells Shmuel, Ad Shaul. How long are you going to mourn over him? And that's what the commentator, the Mitzudatavit says, It's not befitting to mourn over him too long. And Rav Ariel in his commentary compares Shmuel's excessive mourning and insistence to keep Saul in place. That's kind of like what Abraham does with his son Yishmael, that he says, Abraham was pretty stubborn. He said, let Yishmael go before you. It was hard for them to accept that Hashem wants somebody else. Avraham got used to Yishmael, it was his firstborn, just like Shmuel wanted Saul in there because he was his first anointed. Because Shmuel's thinking like this, I put so much into Saul, I'd rather try to fix things than start from scratch with somebody else. But obviously Hashem sees things differently. So Hashem continues in the verse, so what should you do after you stop mourning? Fill up your horn with oil, and go. And I will send you to Yishai, Betelachmi, Jesse from Bethlehem. Why? For I have seen for myself a king among his sons. That is, amongst his sons, I see a king from me. That's what it says in Hebrew, Li Melech. And that's an interesting way of putting it. I see amongst his sons, Li Melech, a king from me. What does that mean, a king from me? So the Radak says, it doesn't say a king for Israel, but a king from me. What does Hashem mean by that? A king who will listen to me and heed my commandments, not like Saul, who transgressed them. Now notice Hashem says, shemen, Fill your horn with oil, a keren. Shmuel is going to anoint David with a keren, a horn. If we recall back in chapter 10, Saul was anointed with a pach shemen, a jar or a vial of shemen, of oil. And here David is being anointed with a horn. And that's the tradition. The kings of David are anointed with a keren, with a horn. And the other kings are anointed with a pach shemen. So we saw Shaul was with a pach shemen, a jar of shemen, a jar of oil. And Yehu ben Nimshi, who was anointed by the prophet, one of the kings of Israel, he was also anointed with a pach shemen, not a keren shemen, because he wasn't from the tribe of Yehuda. Now, what's so special about a keren? So Rabbi Kahana says that a keren, a horn, is a symbol of bitachon, trust in Hashem, and accepting the yoke of heaven, and a willingness to take risks if a Kodesh Baruch commands you to do something risky. And that takes a lot of self-sacrifice to be that way. So the Karen, the horn, symbolizes the horn of the isle, of the ram. In Akedat Yitzchak, what happened? Yitzchak, in the end, wasn't sacrificed. And an isle, a ram, took his place. 
And since Akedat Yitzchak was the classic example of self-sacrifice, Misud Nefesh, Omachut Shemayim, doing what Hashem says even if it makes no sense, the ram that replaced Yitzchak, the horn of the ram, becomes the symbol of Akedat Yitzchak. And that's one of the reasons we blow a shofar on Rosh Hashanah. For the same reason, it's the horn of an isle that's represented in Akedat Yitzchak. And so all that is symbolized in this horn. And that's why we anoint the kings of Yehuda with a horn of oil. Okay, so Shmuel is given this mission to go to Bethlehem and anoint the new king. And it says in verse 2, Vayom Shmuel. And Shmuel said, Echelech, how am I going to go? Veshema Shaul Vargani. If Saul hears about this, he'll kill me. After all, I'm already by Malchut. I'm anointing another king in his lifetime. He'll kill me for that. Saul's not going to allow me to do that. This is like a suicide mission. Vayomer Hashem. So Hashem said to him, Eglat Bakarti Kach Biyadecha. Listen, you don't have to tell him you're going to do it. Just take a heifer with you. Vomata, and you could say, Lizboach Lashem Bati. I've come to slaughter a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3, Vakarata Li Yishai Bazevach. And then you go to Beit Lechem, to the house of Jesse, and you have a feast there. And I'll inform you what you do once you're there. And you anoint who I tell you to. Okay, this is a very interesting conversation, and a lot is written about it, because Shmuel is saying, I can't just go, Saul will kill me, and Hashem gives him a tactic how to get out of it, so Saul won't know about it. You don't have to go and declare to the world you're going to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. You just make it look like you're going to Jesse's house for a party. And it's very interesting because the sages learn from this conversation that one does not depend on miracles. After all, you would think Hashem is sending Shmuel on his holy mission to anoint a new king and he'll give him divine protection. But no, he's telling Shmuel to take all the precautions. He's even giving him an excuse what to say to people and why you're going to Bethlehem. And so you don't depend on miracles even if you're doing a mitzvah. You take all the precautions and you don't say, I'm on a mission from God and Hashem will protect me. No, we see here, you don't trust in miracles. Now, we have seen before in certain situations of Chilul Hashem, you don't hedge and you say the truth no matter what. And you have to take risks and you don't make a cheshbon. And you have to even place yourself in dangerous situations like David against Goliath like Yonatan against the Philistine armies, like the Maccabees against the Greeks. A lot of times you do take big risks and you have to be willing to get yourself killed. But that's a situation of Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem. Here, there's no situation of Kiddush Hashem. Shmuel has to anoint the new king in Beit Lechem. It's a technical thing. This isn't a mission of sanctifying the name of God, Kiddush Hashem, that he has to march to Beit Lechem, head held high, Kiddush Hashem, Be'etzam Ayobazel, like they left Egypt. No, this isn't a situation of Kiddush Hashem. He's got to anoint a new king. He's got to get this job done, and he doesn't have to get killed over it. Now, the Abarbanel says something totally different. The Abarbanel knows that Shmuel really loves Saul, and he doesn't want to anoint a new king, like we just said in the previous verse. So since Shmuel really doesn't want to anoint a new king, he's just trying to get out of it. So he's just making up an excuse to Hashem saying, Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. But Saul wouldn't kill Shmuel. He still loved Shmuel like Shmuel loved him. Shmuel was like his father. So according to the Barbanel, Shmuel was just saying this because he doesn't want to go to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. He's trying to get out of this mission. Okay, verse 4, Vayas Shmuel et asher And Shmuel did what the Lord said. So we see here that Shmuel overcomes his personal feelings. He might not want to do this, but he's going to do it anyway. He accepts the yoke of heaven. So the verse explicitly tells us that Shmuel did what Hashem told him to do. Vayavo And he came to likrato. And the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Vayichredu means trembled. Vayomer, and they said, Shalom Boecha, have you come in peace? 
That is, is everything okay? And the commentators explain that they're not used to seeing Shmuel. We know he's gotten older. He hasn't been getting around like he used to. He hasn't been in Belechem for a long time. And so they figure something must be up, something may be wrong. So you can see in the verse that they're surprised to see him and a little bit worried because they're asking, Shalom Boecha, are you coming in Shalom? Now, who asked him this question, Shalom Boecha? It says Vayomer in the singular form. So it wasn't all the elders who asked him the question. It was just Yishai who asked the question. And Yishai, or Jesse, that's David's father, he was renowned for his scholarship. He was a big tzaddik of the town. So Yishai isn't just the father of David, David ben Yishai. He's pretty great in his own right. And we'll see hints to that later on through the verses. As a matter of fact, it says in Masechet Shabbat 45, that there were four people who never committed a sin. And one of them is Jesse, who we see here is one of the Zikneair. He's one of the elders of the city, and he's actually the head of the elders of the city. And he doesn't know that Shmuel's coming to him personally. So he asks, is everything okay? So Shmuel answers in verse 5, Vayomer, and he said, Shalom, everything's fine. I've come in peace. So Shmuel calms him down. He says, I've come in peace. There's nothing to worry about. And then he explains the reason why he's come to Beit Lechem. I've come to offer a sacrifice to Hashem. Prepare yourselves for that. And come with me to the feast. So Yishai got prepared and he prepared his sons. And he invited them to the feast. So the people think that Shmuel is going to Yishai specifically because Yishai, he's the big man in Beit Lechem. Nobody thinks, including Yishai, that Shmuel is going to Yishai's house in order to anoint a new king. And notice how the verse says how they have to mitkadesh, they have to get themselves ready for this, they have to prepare themselves. And Rabbi Ghana explains that anytime you want to elevate yourself spiritually, you have to prepare yourself for that, and you got to get out of your routine. So the fact that Shmuel's coming to their house, and there's going to be a sacrifice and a feast there, that's a big deal. So Yishai and his sons, mitkadshim, they get themselves ready for that, because that's not part of the normal routine, it's something very special. Okay, let's get to the next verse. And at this point, Shmuel is in Yishai's house. And it says like this, And it was that when they arrived, that is, the sons of Yishai have come home, Shmuel saw Eliav. And Eliav is the firstborn of Yishai. And Shmuel sees him. And he says, Which means, for sure, the Lord's anointed stands here right before me. So Shmuel is sure that Eliav, the firstborn of Yishai, he's the next king, so much so that he's about to anoint him. He's saying here, the Lord's anointed is standing before me. So the Radak explains like this, Shmuel is figuring that the Lord will definitely choose the firstborn because we know that the firstborn in Jewish law does have the most privileges. So he's figuring this Eliav must be it. He's a handsome, statuesque young man. He reminds Shmuel of Saul. He's the type of person who would command the respect of the nation. Because let's face it, the people do go by exterior qualities. Shmuel already bore witness to God's choice of Saul, who was described as He was head and shoulders above everybody, beautiful in deeds and in looks, etc. So he has no doubt that Eliav is the one. But no, what does God tell Shmuel in the next verse? But the Lord said to Shmuel, Don't look at his outward appearance, and don't look at his height, because I have rejected him. 
That is, Hashem is telling Shmuel he has rejected Eliav. And we'll see why later on. Because Hashem doesn't look at the things people look at. That is, he has a different criteria. People, they look with their eyes. They look at the outward appearance. While Hashem, he sees the heart. He looks into the heart of the person. So we see that Shmuel's mistaken. That goes back to what we learned a couple chapters ago when Saul asked, is this the house of the Roeh? Is this the house of the seer? And Shmuel answered, Anochi I am the seer. And Hashem chastised him and said, You think you're the seer? You don't see everything. And this is the episode where Shmuel did not see. He made a mistake. Now, it doesn't just say that Hashem doesn't want Eliav. It says he rejected him. Now, if he rejected him, that means that Eliav was in the running. You can't be rejected unless you were actually in the running. And Eliav was a candidate. He's the firstborn of Yishai. So why was he rejected? Because he had the midah of anger. He had anger issues. And that's not a good thing. And we'll see that anger express itself in the David and Goliath story. We'll see that when David arrives upon the scene in the Goliath episode, Eliav is going to say really nasty things to his brother. We'll see some of his anger over there. And somebody who has anger issues, that stems from arrogance. If you think about it, somebody who gets angry all the time is because it's not going his way. He thinks things should always go his way. And if it doesn't, he gets angry. That's not a humble person. And so Eliav could never have been chosen as the next king. And so this teaches us that Saul wasn't chosen just because he looked good. He had great midot. He was humble. That's what Hashem wants. Obviously, somebody with an impressive appearance, that's a big attribute because the people who are basically more superficial, they'll respect and fear that king. But that's not the only reason Saul was chosen, as we saw earlier. And the other thing we learn here is like what it says in the verse, man can only see so far. He could see somebody's outward appearance, but he has no idea what's in the heart of that person. And that's what really counts. And so we see again with the rejection of Eliav, it's never the obvious choice. Verse 8, Vayakha Yishai Adav. So then Jesse called for his next son. His name was Avinadav. And he presented him before Shmuel. And Shmuel said, Nope, Hashem hasn't chosen this one either. Verse 9. And then Yishai passed another son before Shmuel. His name was Shama. And Shmuel said, Nope, Hashem hasn't chosen this one either. Verse 10, And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Shmuel, but Shmuel said to Jesse, meaning the Lord has not chosen any of them. Verse 11, And Shmuel asked Yishai, Is this it? Are these all your sons? After all, Hashem told Shmuel, one of Yishai's sons is going to be the next king. So if it's not any of these sons, there's got to be another son hanging out somewhere. Because I'm not leaving here until I anoint the king. That's my mission. And Jesse said, There's one more left, the youngest one. And he's out tending the sheep. And Shmuel said to Jesse, Send for him and bring him here. Because we're not going to sit down until he arrives. So before Yishai sends for that last son, which of course is going to be David, let's look at some of the commentators. What does it mean when Shmuel says, we're not going to sit down until you bring me that last son? So Rashi says, we're not going to sit down to eat. So they haven't eaten yet, and there's supposed to be a feast. And Shmuel saying, from the word misubin, because in those days they would eat misubin like we do on Passover. They would be leaning over. So the word is, we aren't going to recline to eat. So instead of saying, we're not going to go and sit down and eat until he shows up, they say, we aren't going to recline to eat. 
because that's how they would eat. They would recline. But we see again how unpredictable things are. He's the one you least expect. Yishai doesn't even have him there in the house to be presented before Shmuel. That's how much Yishai thinks of David. And Rabbi Kahane in his commentary, he mentions how Yishai refers to David here. He says, Od Shara Katan. So you could translate that as, well, the youngest one still remains. Nishar is remains. Katan is young. But Katan really means small. He's referring to David as the small one. And David is 30 years old at this point in his life. So by referring to him as Hakatan, he's diminishing him. And he says the Katan Nishar, he remains. But Shar is also left over. David's like the leftovers. David seems to be treated like Sugbet. He's like second-class citizen. He's a leftover. That is all the rest of his sons. That's the Ikar. That's the important part. And David, who Nishar, he's just an accessory. He's like a spare part. Who Nishar, he's an afterthought. And even the way he says he's tending the sheep, what is that? What is he, little bull peep? And why is he out there anyway? Can he be home like the rest of his brothers? And why didn't Yishai invite him anyway? Why isn't he part of the family there? He knew Shmuel was coming for a feast. Everybody was getting prepared. Why wasn't his youngest son David with everybody else? And the Rav says that Yishai was thinking that his son David wasn't worthy to sit with Shmuel, so there's no need to invite him. And yet David, who was treated like the lowest of creatures, he's Dafka the one who's chosen by Hashem to be the king. And not just the king, but the father of the entire Davidic dynasty up into the Mashiach. He is the one that you would the least suspect that he would be the one that's chosen. So obviously Hashem is trying to show us something by all this. Now, why was David such an outsider? You know there's something more going on. It can't be for nothing that Yishai doesn't even consider him to be there that day when Shmuel's there. There's something different about David and the rest of his sons, and it's got to be something not good. And we'll take a deep look at that in our next shiur and examine why David wasn't even a consideration to be a candidate for the next king and why Yishai doesn't even have him around that day. We'll check that out in our next shiur.